detail, God. And we just pray that your word would minister to every circumstance right now in the name of Jesus. We pray, God, for just divine intervention. We pray for healing, oh God, and we pray for understanding. We pray for a confidence that comes from knowing your word, that when you say it, you will do it, that your promise is always being true, God. And we just give us, give us the grace to, to go out and do what you've equipped us to do, Father. Let this word, Lord, saturate us this morning, God. Let it change our thinking, change our perspective. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So as you know, last week was Easter, and I was talking with Pastor just about the excitement of Easter, and you know, we can look at big events and moments in our lives. It could be graduation, it could be retiring from work, whatever it is, we, we throw parties, right? We like to throw parties, we like to have people over, and there's a lot of preparation that goes into those events, isn't it? And especially for Easter, there's so much work, so much prayers, the outreach, and so many things that happen, and then the event comes, and then it's over. And then it's, you kind of have that after-party letdown. Parents, how many of you know what I'm talking about? You have families over your house, it's exciting, you, you eat, and then the families leave, and you're left with the wreckage of what was once your living room and your playroom, wondering how you're going to put everything back together again, and you're tired, you're, you're weary, and, and I believe that it's important to know that there is, when Jesus rose from the dead, it was exciting, it was, it was awesome, but I think for the disciples it was different because in what they were supposed to do, and this morning I want to talk about learning to embrace failure, learning to embrace failure, usually we want to run from failure, we want to cover it up. We want to hide the failures in our lives, but I believe as disciples, and that's our theme for this year, our focal point is becoming fully devoted followers of Christ. I believe that being a disciple is learning to embrace the failures in our life. And failure is simply defined as this. It's the lack of success or the action or state of not functioning. And so I want to read about three different names of people who failed in their lives. Number one, before Steinbrenner made a name for himself when he acquired ownership of the New York Yankees, he owned a small basketball team called the Cleveland Pipers back in 1960. By 1962, as a result of Steinbrenner's direction, the entire franchise went bankrupt. That stretch of failure seemed to follow Steinbrenner when he took over the Yankees in the 1970s, as the team struggled with a number of setbacks and losses throughout the 1980s and the 1990s. However, despite public fear, and criticism of Steinbrenner's controversial decisions, eventually he led the team to an amazing comeback with six World Series entries before 1996 and 2003, and a record as one of the most profitable teams in Major League Baseball. Number two, one of the most creative geniuses of the 20th century was once fired from a newspaper because he was told he lacked creativity. Trying to persevere, Disney formed his first animation company for the company, but eventually was forced to close Laughogram following the close of an important distributor partner. Desperate and out of money, Disney found his way to Hollywood and faced even more criticism and failure until finally his first few classic films started to skyrocket in popularity. Steve Jobs, as an impressive entrepreneur because of his boundless innovations, but also because of his emphatic comeback, from an almost irre irrecoverable failure. Jobs found success in his 20s when Apple became a massive empire. But when he was 30, Apple's board of directors decided to fire him. 
Undaunted by the failure, Jobs found a new company called Next, which was eventually acquired by Apple. Once back at Apple, Jobs proved his capacity for greatness by reinventing the company's image and taking Apple brand to, to the new heights. And Apple is now one of the highest grossing companies globally. Everyone knows Hershey's chocolates, but when Milton Hershey first started his candy production career, he was a nobody. After being fired from an apprenticeship with a printer, Hershey started three separate candy-related ventures and was forced to watch all of them fail. In his one last attempt, Hershey's found the Lancaster Caramel Company and started seeing enormous results. Believing in his vision for milk chocolate for the masses, he eventually founded the Hershey Company and became one of the most well-known names in the industry. I think as disciples, we have to learn to embrace the failures in our lives. And we're going to look quickly this morning at the word of God of a moment where these disciples failed in what they were called to do. But we thank God that we have a God who is gracious and a God who doesn't point out our failures, but he sees us beyond what we can do and he pushes us to get there. Amen? So if you're with me this morning, we're going to be in John chapter 21. It'll be on the screen as well. And so we have this moment where Jesus has died on the cross, he's risen from the grave, and now the disciples are kind of going back to what they were doing before. And sometimes when we fail, doesn't that happen? When we fail, we don't like the feeling of shame, and so what we do is we try to avoid failure again. So sometimes we begin to avoid what we did in the first place. And so just for time's sake, usually I read through the whole scripture and then go back. We're just going to read through it, share some principles, and then we're going to pray. Amen? So John 21, if you're with me, says, After this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias. And he revealed himself in this way. Simon Peter, Thomas called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana and Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other of his disciples were together. So Jesus is going kind of on a, a, a goodbye tour, if we want to call it. He's getting ready to ascend back to his father, and he's making all of these appearances. Jesus didn't just appear three times, but this was the third time that he appeared to the 12. And so it's important to understand, and we talked about this a little bit, um, a little while ago, where when Jesus was, rose from the dead, the disciples who were called to go out were found in a locked room. And I don't know about you, but I don't think we realize how traumatizing what happened to Jesus was. Not just for Jesus, but for his followers. It was traumatizing to see the man that they had given everything up for go through what he went through. And not only that, they didn't follow him. They failed to, to go with him. It said that they all scattered. And I don't know about you, but I'm not going to have motivation to do what God has called me to do if, number one, I saw what Jesus went through, and number two, I feel like I failed him in what he called me to do. If I was a di disciple, I'd think, well, he called me, he invested three years in me, and I failed. And so what Jesus did is he knew exactly who to appear to. He knew how to do it. And so he began to have all these appearances. So the disciples were locked in this room for fear of the Jews. They're called to go out, but being a disciple is not about being locked into a place. And we went through that. We've gone through that the past couple of years. We've kind of been isolated, right? Told we can't go out. And and what that do has done is it's, it's forced a fear over us. The same way the disciples had a fear of going out because of what the Jews were going to do to them. They saw what they did to Jesus. And they thought if we keep doing that, that might happen to us. And so here they are locked in a room. And you know what Jesus does? He appears in the middle of the room. And he speaks life to them. He speaks peace to them. 
And then you'd think, okay, Jesus spoke life. Now they're going to go out and become disciples. We see in the second appearance, they're back in another locked room. And what does Jesus do? He appears. He speaks life to them. And again, you'd think, okay, Jesus came back. Now they're going to go do what they've been called to do. But look what it says in the text if we keep going. In verse 3, it says, Simon Peter said to them, I am going fishing. And they said to them, we will go with you. So I think this number one speaks of the leadership of Peter. That what Peter was going to do, these other disciples kind of just followed with him. And what were these disciples before Jesus made them disciples? They were fishermen, right? And so for Peter, he probably thought, well, we failed Jesus. I failed him even more because I denounced him three times. But even when we fail, you still have to make a living. Peter was not going fishing for fun. You know, we as men, some men love to go fishing for fun. This was not fun fishing. This was provisional fishing. He probably discredited himself and said, I, I can no longer do what God has called me to do, but I still have to make a living, so I'm going to go back to doing what I knew how to do. And the other people followed him. And it says they went out, they got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. They caught nothing. When we have an encounter with Jesus, it's hard to go back to life before that, isn't it? When you know that Jesus has done something in your life, but then you feel like you've failed him and you no longer press in or, or walk in what he's had you called to do, it's, it's hard to go back to life as usual when you know what Jesus did in your life. But then sometimes you feel bound because you feel like I've failed and I can't walk in what he's called me to do. And this was Peter. I'm going to go back fishing because I know how to do it. I can make a living. I can, I've, I've done it before. I've been trained to do this. And so they get into the boat. Nighttime fishing was a big thing because if you could fish at night, then in the morning you'd have fresh fish to sell in the morning. And so fishing at night was just what fishermen did. And so Peter's probably thinking, well, I failed at this, but I'm not going to fail at fishing because this was my life. This is what I know. And it says that they toiled all night. And I believe what happened through this pandemic, what is happening now in people's lives and their minds, the fear that is gripping people, we're paralyzed and we're no longer walking forward in what God wants because we're frozen. We're trying to do all these other things in life. Well, I can't do this, so I'm going to try and advance at work. I'm going to, but it feels like it's not enough. I coached basketball at the varsity level, girls basketball, and um, there was a game that we were playing, and so I coached at a Christian academy, and we were the only Christian school in a public school league. And so our Christian school had about 75 people in the entire high school. And so we were playing schools that had 500 to 1,000 in the entire high school. And so we were playing this team called Commerce in Springfield. This was the inner city. And we're playing this school that we only had a varsity team. We didn't have enough for our varsity and a JV. This team had 20 people on their varsity, had 20 people on their JV. It was a big school, and we come and we're playing them on their home court. And we have this girl, Natalie, who joined our team. Natalie was an amazing athlete. She was a star soccer player. She could, go, she could have gone to the Olympics. She just had that, that gift in her. She never played basketball, so she thought that year when I became a coach, she's like, I'm going to give it a try. So she made the team because she had amazing athletic ability, but she had never played basketball before, but she was our fastest person. And so she was a seventh grader who was the star point guard on a varsity team, playing 
a team that was well-known and, and massive. And so we enter into this gym, and the game is exciting. It's going back and forth, and, and it gets to the end of the game, and Natalie goes up at the buzzard for a layup, misses a layup, but gets fouled with zero seconds on the clock. And we are tied. So she gets to shoot two shots. So I remember the, cr the sound of the crowd was so loud that I couldn't even get a timeout in because it was so loud. The coach and I were looking at each other, yelling timeout, and the refs couldn't hear it because the, the sound was so deafening. So this little Natalie steps up to the free throw line, and she misses both free throws. And I just remember the look in her face. And so the crowd is cheering. They're excited. Now we're going into overtime. And so I'm huddling the group up. And I'm looking around, and I don't see Natalie. And I look at the other girls. I'm like, where's Natalie? And she goes, I think she left. So you only have a few minutes before the overtime starts, but we're like, we need Natalie. And I remember leaving the huddle and going out into the hallway and finding her, crying her face red. And in my face, I'm like, I knew that whatever words I said in that moment were going to be crucial to whether she comes back in to play the game. So she gets back in the game, overtime is going, the crowd is even louder. And Natalie, she doesn't, you know, usually when you're a point guard and you, you keep missing layups, what you tend to do is stay on the perimeter. Well, I keep missing, so I'm just going to stay on the outside. Natalie, she didn't back down. So overtime's about the end, the buzzard's about to end, Natalie breaks through, she goes in for a layup, she misses, she gets fouled. We're tied with no seconds on the clock. So she steps back up to the line, and you can see the crowd is even louder. They're booing. They're, she, hits the she, makes, she shoots the first free throw, misses it. She shoots the second free throw. She misses it. The crowd is screaming, laughing. Second overtime, we ended up losing by one or two points. There are moments in our lives where we fail, feel like we have failed. And I thank God that we have a coach, we have a savior, who doesn't point out what we didn't do. But he sees the giftings that we have and he continues to foster them. And so we have this moment where the disciples are no longer doing what they're called to do because they've, they've missed the mark. They go back to what they knew before and they even fail at that. I can't even begin to imagine to tell you the emotions that must have been in that boat. Peter's thinking of what he did to Jesus. If I had just said I was with him, I would have gone to the cross with him. But I denied him three times. And now I can't even do this. They've, it says that they fished all night. We're not talking with a little reel that you cast in. We're talking heavy nets that you keep throwing in, you keep pulling out. They're laboring all night, and morning comes, and they have nothing to show for it. No provision. In verse 4, it says, just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore. Jesus showed up at their workplace. And I love what it says. It says, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. We don't know why that was the case. Some commentators say that they were so preoccupied with their failure that they couldn't see him. 
Others said because in the morning the mist is over the Sea of Galilee that they probably couldn't see him or make him out. It doesn't really matter why, but they had no idea who was on the shore. And I love what Jesus says. It's Jesus said to them, children, do you have any fish? And when I was reading commentators, it said that Jesus is actually using the dialogue of the workplace. This was something that was said at the workplace. Jesus knew the language. He knew exactly what he needed to do. His mission was, I'm going to redeem my disciples. I'm going to restore them. They don't think that they can do what I've already called them to do, but he was already in the process of doing it through the first appearance, through the second appearance, and now through the third appearance. And it goes on, it says, they answered him, no. Jesus wasn't asking for fish in the sense of, of, of trying to call out their failure. What he was trying to say and what the disciples might have thought was these were people who wanted to buy food from them. And they were calling out, do you have any fish? And again, they had to say no. And in their minds, they're thinking, we did this all night. I'm exhausted. Where do I, what do we do now? And I love this. And it says in verse 6, he said to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. Sometimes when you're desperate, you're just going to do it. They didn't, without hesitation, they had failed, they had tried all night. And I'm sure in their minds, they're like, let's just do it. Let's just, let's just throw the net over the right side of the boat. And then I love how it says, so they cast it, and now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. This is a miracle. And what's interesting is, Desiree, if you can go to Luke chapter 5, look at verses starting in verse 4. And when he had finished speaking, he said to who? Simon, or Peter, Put out into the deep and let your nets down for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing. But at your word, I will let down the nets. And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish, and their nets were breaking. They signaled to their partners in the other boats to come help them, and they came and filled both the boats, so they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken in. And so also were also James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, do not be afraid. From now on, you will be catching men. And he goes on to say, and when they had brought their boats to the land, they left everything and followed him. We talked about fishermen having provision. So this was an astonishing catch. We know that they had been um, seasoned fishermen. They knew that this was something that they have never done before. But what I love is they didn't stay around and sell the fish and make the profit. They saw the miracle, but there was a relationship already with Jesus. And when they saw the miracle, something in Peter caused them to say, I don't need the prophet. I don't need to make money. It says that they left everything, fish, net, and they followed him. When Jesus does something in our lives, and you can think of being a baby Christian. When Jesus first comes into your life, you're so excited. God is doing things. He's, he's, he's working in your life. But then as you become more seasoned... It's hard because you forget the things that God did in our past. Jesus performed the same miracle because he knew it would reveal who he was. And I love that about him. We see the same exact miracle that Jesus is doing. And look what happened when the miracle happened. It says, so they cast it and they were not able to haul it. We're back in John 21 because of the quantity of fish. And look at verse 7. That disciple whom Jesus loved therefore said to Peter, it is the Lord. 
They had no idea who this man was, but they obeyed him at his word. When they cast the net over and couldn't even haul it in, they remembered. They remembered who did that. They remembered who called him. And I love that it was John who recognized him. But Peter, the disciple whom Jesus loved, therefore said to Peter, it is the Lord. But when Simon heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he was stripped for work, and he threw himself into the sea. When we fail God, that love and that, that devotion was still there inside of Peter. He may have denied Jesus. In our lives, we may deny Jesus in the workplace. We may have said yes to Jesus many years ago, but we've lost our edge. We've lost our heart to follow him. But Jesus still stirs up that well. He stirs up that area in us that is still devoted to him. And we see the aggressiveness and we see just the devotion that Peter had for Jesus, even though he failed him. And what I love is it said that he put on his, his, his coat, his outer garment. What I love about that is he still had a reverence for Jesus because when you're a fisherman, it says that it literally means the translation comes out naked. He was almost naked. He was wearing workman's clothes. And he said, if that's Jesus, I'm throwing myself over into the sea and I'm swimming in. He didn't even think, well, the boat might be a little bit faster to get back to him. He threw himself into the sea, but he said, I'm going to put my work clothes on because I don't want Jesus to see. I want to come before him clothed in reverence. We're beginning to see that, that, that fire begin to come back and that love that, that, that Peter had for Jesus. But there was more that Jesus wanted to draw out. You know, we look at the life of Peter and we see that he was one of the only people who said to Jesus, if you could put up that scripture, Mark 16, verse 18. Or I'm sorry, Matthew 16, verse 18. Jesus said this to Peter, and I tell you, you are Peter. And on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail from it. Jesus changed his name, and Peter meant rock. And he said, I'm going to build my church. Did you know that the word church, this is the first time that Jesus ever used the word church in the entire scriptures? And church in, is in the Greek, it's ecclesia, and it's not even a religious word. Did you hear me when I said that? It's not even a religious word. It just meant group or called out group. Jesus deliberately chose a word without distinguishing religious meaning. He said, upon this rock, I will build this group, this group that I'm going to call out. Peter was the leader of that group. But he failed, and Jesus was trying to draw something out so that he could restore Peter. He could give that fire back. He could give that passion back. And it's a process in our lives. And I believe that there are people here this morning where you feel like you have failed Jesus in everything. You failed him in your witness. You failed him as a parent raising your kids. These young adults in here are saying, I just don't have that passion in, this, in, in this, the colleges that I'm in. I, I feel on fire for God in the church, but when I go out in the world, it's just not there, and I failed him. And you're doing everything you can. You're toiling all night, but you're catching nothing. And I believe that Jesus wants to restore men and women this week, right now, in this season, because there's more work to do. Let's continue to read. So we know that Peter put on his outer garments, he was stripped for work, he threw himself into the sea, and the other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far off from the land, but about a hundred yards off. 
When they got out on the land, they saw a charcoal fire in place with fish laid on it and bread. Jesus is chipping away at that failure. He's chipping away. He knows what he needs to do. What I love is Jesus served. He washed his disciples' feet before he died. And after he rose again, he's still serving his disciples. He cooks them breakfast. They've worked all night. They're tired. They're weary. They feel like failures. And they come and Jesus has a low fire with fish and with bread. And look what Jesus said to them. Bring some of the fish that you have just caught. He's again pulling from their memory. Do you remember when I called you and when we were with a big crowd of people and we had no food? I asked you what we should do. And they brought what they had, which they found a little boy with fish and bread. Jesus was partnering with them again, saying, I am your provider. I have called you and I have equipped you and I will continue to provide for you and I want you to partner with you. And I can guarantee you memories started coming back. We did this before. Jesus did something with the fish and the loaves before. And it says, so Simon Peter went aboard and he hauled the net ashore full of large fish. So we have to stop and camp there for a second. We just saw that they, ca- they got an amount of fish that none of them could haul into the boat. Somehow, Peter went and got that net by himself. And I don't know about you, but if I failed in one area, what I tend to do is go harder in other areas. So Peter's thinking, Jesus just told me to go get the fish. He didn't say, guys, let's go get it. He went by himself, and he somehow dragged that net full of fish. I may have failed Jesus before, but he said to bring the fish. I'm not going to fail at this. I don't know how long it took him. I'm not going to go into detail, but can you just imagine Jesus sitting by the fire and watching Peter go and trying to drag this massive amount of fish over? And then we have this confrontation between the two of them. It says in verse 2, Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. Now none of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? Why? Because they knew that it was the Lord. And it goes on to say, Jesus came and took the bread and he gave it to them, and so would the fish. This was now the third time that Jesus was revealed to the disciples after he was the dead. And so they're remembering what Jesus did with the crowd of 5,000. They're remembering that he took the bread and the fish, he broke the bread, he blessed it, and he gave it out. He was telling the disciples, remember that I provided from you when we had almost nothing. We need to be told that in our lives when we failed. I remember little Natalie, when I pulled her aside, I told her, I said, I said, this game is just a game. Don't make this about your whole life. And again, it wasn't words of what I thought the heavens opened and God said, say this. It was just, I was a young coach, inexperienced, and it was like, this is just a game. But whatever it was, she got back in that game She finished her four years, and she became one of our star players. It's important as leaders, too, when God, as parents, that when our kids fail, we don't look down on them. We don't call out their failures because we, God has given us an ability to see beyond what they can see. There's nothing worse than when your kid fails at someone and you know they know they failed. 
but when you can smile and you can give them that look. You know what I'm talking about, right, Kelly? It's like they look to you and see what your response is going to be, and Jesus always has the right response. Even as godly parents, our response isn't going to be always perfect. But for Jesus, his response is always perfect. He knows exactly what to say. So Jesus has kind of given them a little memory lapse, and it says, now when they had finished eating breakfast, so now the disciples are fed. How many men out there you know when you're hungry, once you eat, you feel a little better about yourself? You know, maybe they're not thinking about the failure as much. But I know when I eat, I'm good. I know when I'm not eating and I'm hungry, Tara knows that. She knows when I haven't eaten yet. But once she gets a little food in me, then I feel a little bit better. So Jesus has now restored them physically. He's sitting around the fire, and now look what he does. It says, Jesus said to Simon Peter. So now he turns his attention to Peter. This is such an important, crucial moment in the life of Peter and in his relationship with Jesus. Look what he says to him. He says, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me more than these? Do you love me more than these? Desiree, if you can put up Matthew 26, verse 33. There was a moment in Peter's life where he said this to Jesus. Peter answered him, though they all fall away because of you, I will never fall away. You know what that word fall means? It means to be offended or to put a stumbling block in the way. He was saying, I'll never be offended by you. I'll never become a stumbling block. I believe he meant it in that moment, but he didn't realize what that fear of the cross was going to do, and it revealed something. Sometimes when we fail, it's okay. Our failures reveal something. When I go into a test at school and I fail that test, and I have failed tests, what it does is it shows me what I was lacking. And the right teacher will say, you failed because you didn't know this, 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 or this. I can take that test and quit school and go away and never go back to it again. Or I can look at that failure and say, this is what I missed. This is what I'm going to study for the next time. So Peter says, I will never be offended by you. His name means rock. Jesus said, I'm going to build the church. I'm going to build this called out group on the rock. And then he says, he looks at Peter and he says to him, do you love me more than these? So he begins to question him, and he said, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Do you realize that he's calling him Simon now? He's no longer calling him Peter. Peter meant rock. Jesus used his old name because he was reminding him that you weren't faithful then. And when Jesus uses the two words for love, He's using uh, the, the, what we call agapes, which is a, the biblical usage often spoken in all giving, uncaused, unselfish love. But Peter answered Jesus using the word phileo. So Jesus used a different kind of love when he said, do you love me more than these? But Peter responded with kind of a lesser love. It was more of a brotherly love, a friendship love, saying, I am your friend. He realized that his love wasn't agape. It wasn't unselfish. He realized his failure in that moment. Jesus sometimes lets us look at what we've done, not because he wants to make us feel bad, because he wants to, again, show us that we in and of ourselves will always fail. 
And so the conversation goes on, and he says, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, Tend my sheep. And he said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And it says, Peter was grieved because he had said it a third time. He said, Do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, Feed my sheep. What he was saying was, when he says, Tend my sheep, the verb here is used, it's somewhat a broader meaning. It's to exercise the office of a shepherd. That's what he's saying. He's telling him, I'm not stripping you of your title. He wants him to see that he's still calling him and restoring him to this title. And even though you failed, I want you to see that you failed, but I want you to know where I see you. And he waited to do it in front of the disciples. He had already appeared to to Peter before, but he wanted to restore him in the presence of the disciples. And that was important. It's not that being a fisherman was beneath Peter. Sometimes people think, well, he's an apostle and you can't be a fisherman. It's not that being a fisherman was beneath him. It was that it wasn't what God had called him to do. He said, you're no longer going to be a fisherman. You're going to be fishing for men. This is your job. Whatever God has for you. It might not mean ministry in the sense of a platform, but wherever you are, God wants to make that a platform. And we have to understand what that is and where that is and how God can equip us for that purpose. God has called each one of us in here to something. And there will be times where you will fail him. But Jesus' heart is to always restore. To always restore and bring us back. When he says, tend my sheep, it's by which he seems to imitate that it is not sufficiently merely to offer bread of life to the congregation. Meaning, you're going to be the pastor. You're going to be the leader of this. Your job isn't just to offer bread to the people. A pastor's job is not just to offer bread and then to sit back with folded hands. The job of a pastor, he said, I want you to take care of the sheep, that they're properly collected, that they're properly attended to, regulated, and guided. He was putting that weight back on him. And as we close, Tara, if you could just come play. He shifts his focus. He makes sure that he knows that Peter knew that he was a failure. He knew that he had let down God. How many in here can honestly say I've let down God once or twice in my life. And that's okay. But look at the focus that Jesus shifts to. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. And he goes, truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you were old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. I always read this and thought, how can Peter go through with what God has called him to do? Jesus was talking about his death, his crucifixion. Peter would be crucified 34 years later. And I always looked at that as a negative, like Jesus is probably not the best time to bring that up because the last time he denied you, Jesus wasn't telling him that he was going to be crucified to scare him. He was telling him he was going to be crucified because he wanted to assure him and say, I know that when you stand for me and you have the opportunity, you will embrace your cross. You ran away from it because you were afraid and you were scared. But let me continue to do the work in you. And I know that when you have to stand for me again, you will embrace your cross. And we know in the writings that are under Emperor Nero, Peter, uh, Peter was crucified. And it said that he begged to be crucified head down. 
because he did not consider himself worthy to die the way that his Lord and Master died. When Jesus does the work of restoration, we don't run away from what he wants, we embrace it. Because he knows every mannerism and every gesture that we need for that. Failure is a horrible thing. The shame of failure is a hard thing to shake. But Jesus works. It's a process. He's building into us the ability to stand for him. And that came from the Holy Spirit. So if you could stand with me this morning, the only way that we can accomplish what God wants us to do in our lives is to be filled by his spirit. His spirit gives us strength. His spirit gives us discernment. It gives us wisdom and the ability to walk and embrace that cross. Because I'll tell you right now, if Jesus told me in advance how I was going to die, there's no way I'm embracing that. Because we know later what Peter said. He said, well, what about, what about John? Jesus said, it's not about John, it's about you. And I love in 1 Peter 2, verses 4 through 6. It says, Peter writes this, As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious. This is Peter talking. You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house. When God touches you this morning, when God has touched you in your past, you are not accomplished when he touches you. You're being built up. We will fail God. We will go through seasons where we're going to walk away from what God is calling us to do in that moment. But it's important to not give up the aim and realize that failure is a part of life. And if we can embrace it, what failure does is it humbles us. And there was a worship leader named Misty Edwards, and I was watching a, a conference that she spoke at, and she said, you're so tired of failing and trying and failing and trying and failing. She said, beloved, that is working for you. You are more humble now than you were before, but don't give up the aim. And I love that it says, Peter's saying, you yourselves are like living stones. You're being built up as a spiritual house to be holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in scripture, behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. Isn't that powerful? That's Peter saying that. Whoever believes in him, he may have failed Jesus, but he still believed him. He threw himself in the sea. He grabbed the net. He pulled it in. And he was one of the witnesses who said, Jesus didn't put me to shame. He restored me in front of my friends. He restored me in front of the disciples. And some of you need to be restored this morning. You know what I love? In 1 Peter 2.8, it says, A stone of stumbling, a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. So Peter's name meant rock. And he told Jesus, I'm never going to be offended by you, but then he was. But God restored his name. And those who want nothing to do with Jesus, Jesus will just always be a stumbling block in their lives. We don't have to worry about that. We just have to live out what Jesus has called us to do this morning. And God has called you and he's equipped you. And so we're going to pray, and then you can be dismissed. But if you feel like you need to be restored, if you just need to come to the altars and say, God, I, I have failed you, and I'm, I'm living in shame right now, and I'm, I'm, I've had enough of the enemy. I've had enough of what he's been speaking to me, what he's been saying over me. I've had enough. Jesus wants to restore that this morning. Amen?